Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! <sighs> and this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash... Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code balance10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Watcha! You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs, where today's guest is Martin Noble, founding member and guitarist of Sea Power, whose new album, Everything Was Forever, is out now. But we're not here to talk about that. Though the excellent album it is, we're here to talk about what he's got up to when he's not been making records or going on tour. That's the premise of 101 Part-Time Jobs. I interview people about the different sideline hustles they've had and ways they've been able to survive doing what they love doing. This episode is supported by 2000 Trees Festival, taking place from the 6th to the 9th of July in Cheltenham, just a few hours away from London. Idols, Jimmy World, Thrice and Turnstile will be headlining the festival. It's the winner of the big medium-sized festival at the UK Festival Awards previously, if you didn't already know that. And their latest announcement is just another thwack of amazing bands. Mirex, Violent Hearts, Mannequin Pussy, Heavy Lungs, Nova Twins, Boston Manor, Island of Love, one of my new favourite bands, also playing. If you're planning to go but haven't yet taken the plunge, you can get 10% off your ticket by using 101pod as a voucher code on their website 2000treesfestival.co.uk forward slash tickets. I worked that out to be around 20 quid. So what can 20 quid buy you? I know, that's almost the price of a copy of Everything Was Forever by Sea Power. You can get that record now. Go to your local record store. Go online and find it through the band's website or their band camp. So here he is, Martin Noble of Sea Power, who are on tour in the UK for the rest of the month. Go and find a date near you. Cheers for listening. Starting off as a band, it's just about playing gigs, is it? Yeah, yeah, get out there. And um, Rough Trade were always sending us out as well because they they knew uh, that playing live was one of our strengths. Right. Uh, And yeah, and we'd kind of tend to make a bit of a scene back then. I think it was pretty bonkers. Um, So they were just like, yeah, let's get them out there and uh, see (laughs) see what the world makes of them. I've read about those shows. And, you know, I, it's, it's almost hard to imagine sometimes because I guess with, with nowadays when there's, when there's a band or, or a group or an artist where the shows are nuts, you kind of see it straight away online or your phone. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think there's that mythology or, you know, that, those kind of rumors that you hear. Yeah, I think um, if things went online as quickly as they do now, um, back then, yeah, I'm not sure how that would have shaped things really, whether it would have driven us to do more or maybe, or we'd have gone, bloody hell, is that what we're like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it brings a bit of self-consciousness to it, but those days you just did what you did and didn't think anything about it, you know? This is a podcast about part-time jobs and about basically making it work, you know? Yeah. And as much as it's like about a financial thing, I think it's it's about like an identity thing about how much you can prioritize your art, you know, over yeah. what, you know, I suppose it has to be said as, as cliche as it sounds like what people at school tell you or what your, your siblings might tell you, you know, your older siblings or your, or your parents, you know, yeah. and I think that's such an interesting element. I mean, 
at that period of time was 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 it your priority was was making this art your priority yeah definitely if I, just before i go on i don't know if you know this song by a band called the nude party what's the name of the song but it's all about being in a band and then all their their family and people saying oh you know one day you're gonna you know you're gonna wish you'd got a job um and it's like you never um the chorus is like you're never gonna make enough money no one cares about the things you say it's really funny it's brilliant check it out anyway well back to where we were um so yeah it was like i met jan at university um uh basically i think we'd both gone there with the aim to form a band we, we sort of met each other outside a lecture we were both late uh, uh and that first year i failed all my exams uh and then sort of i managed to claw back claw it back and finished it and jan dropped out halfway through you know we were always dreaming of being in bands and yeah we moved to brighton like sort of 2000 um and jan and hamilton went to live with their brother so then, then they just were on like they were on the doll. Um, it was sort of like a, it was a scheme back then. I can't remember what it was. I worked anyway. I never could take the doll. Um, was that, was that an ethical choice? Yeah, I think so. I just, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I just thought you got to, you got to work to earn your money, but maybe it's stupid because they were all at home writing songs and I was, um, I was working for a year. I don't think either side is wrong. You know, I think yeah. if you're in that time, I mean, maybe people, you know, maybe you've worked for 10 years and then you thought, fuck it, I'm going to go on the dole now because that didn't do me any good, you know, or maybe you'd be on the dole and you're like, fuck it, no, I'm, you know, I think you, you sort of use your own experiences. That's what you, it's the only thing you can do. And back then it was a scheme. Um, so you, you're encouraged to do, you know, if you're into arts and stuff like that, you, they were sort of encouraged to do that. So it was good back then, wasn't it? You know, yeah, they could, yeah. They could do it. And it, they spent time writing songs and, and kind of kickstarted the band. And maybe that, I, may, I wonder if maybe that's the thing is that if you can, you know, you, you can, quote on, you know, go on the dole and risk being called a, a scrounger or what, what have you. But if you're spending yeah. your time making something worth it. And, and then you get, it's all paid back to the, uh, to the big kitty. Yeah. You know, pay, back, pay our dues back. So yeah, yeah, it's good. Pay our taxes. What kind of jobs were you working back then? I mean, have you got an, have you got a few stories or you know things that come to mind? The first, I say, at university, uh, me and Jan worked in the kitchens in the um, washing up department, um, and we met this guy called Jeff Goddard, who um, it turned out over time that he wrote songs with Joe Meek, um, which was incredible. He had number one hits. Um, sort of in the 60s and he'd ended up just pot washing and he was really interested that we were in a band um and he came to a couple of shows but he he was really interested also in what we were doing at university and he'd just be making up songs like banging colanders and pans and stuff and so that, that was great and there was loads of thai women there was this um massive like you wouldn't mess with her called ufa she was she was brilliant so yeah it was kind of a weird environment loads of thai women and then this uh genius songwriter from the 60s <laughs> so so the year when we moved to brighton i did a year at, um ntl back then um which is a kind of they did tv and phone stuff and i was in the faults mm. department so uh, all the time just people moaning at you it's not working blah, blah, blah. 
And I, I remember um, one really bad, some, someone phoned up and um, the first thing basically you say is switch it on and off, you know, switch it off and on again. Um, Surprisingly this, works. It does, yeah. And this guy had been gone for ages. Um, and, and he came back totally out of breath and I was just like, are you all right? Yeah, he goes, yeah, I, I just had to get out of my wheelchair and then it was really hard to get to the back of the TV. And it's like, oh, man. oh my God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, good on him. Yeah, yeah, good on him. I was like, God, if you'd have told me that, I'd have just got <laughs> yeah. somebody out to see you. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that must, how old were you then? Early 20s? So, yeah, yeah. Early, mid-20s then, I think. Um, but, but one thing I do remember from that is um, 9-11, because we, we had the TV screens all around the building, um, and it happened. All the phone lines went quiet, and you could see it on the TV. And that's those two memories are sort of my biggest memories at that time, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, everyone has their... I mean, that must have been not because if, if anywhere with TVs for me, it was in the, in the shopping center and there was lots of mm. TVs then. And then I, I mean, wow. Being surrounded by TVs, that must've been a real, a real experience of that day. Yeah. It just, just seemed cause it, it was, there were constantly calls after calls. There was always a massive backlog of calls and, and it just went, yeah, just went silent. Wow. It's, yeah. It's crazy. Wow. I mean, I wonder how that was as a as an early twenties. I mean, you're old enough there to be, you know, living your own life, you know, traveling alone, that kind of thing. Did that did that day have a impact on you? You know, in, yeah, in that, in that kind of sense, it did everybody. Yeah, I mean, it, it massively affected everyone. It was um, everyone got massively into just trying to understand how the hell that happened, didn't they? And mm-hmm. and the aftermath. I remember the the video footage of of the news uh, being in being in different countries, being in Afghanistan and Iraq, and showing people celebrating. That's yeah. what I remember from that day. Yeah. And it's so fascinating to think about now. Um, yeah, how the rest of the world sees other parts of the world. That's it, and like that's our one TV. You know, we got like three outlets of that. You know, we got three mm-hmm. news outlets that are going to be sort of showing us what they're going to be showing us. That's all we know about it. Yeah. So it's good, like started to watch a bit more like Russia Today and Al Jazeera TV and stuff like that to get a bit more of a balanced view. Al Jazeera was the one, wasn't it? So I mean, I, when Rough Trade got interested, was that like a vindic- you know a vindication of 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 pushing towards this this focus on arts of writing music, playing music? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'd been doing this club night for we did it once a month. When you're in that frame of mind. You just kind of think it's inevitable in a way. You don't believe that it's not going to not happen. Um, so, yeah, and all, it was always sort of building. Uh, You've done your, your sort of first self-release single. I remember giving that to people at, at work. And they were all, afterwards they told me, they said, oh, yeah, we just thought, oh, look at him with his, you know, with his local band and he's made a CD. Isn't that nice? That's brave <laughs> of you to give it out at work. Yeah, well, there was a few people into music. Um, yeah, not our kind of music, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it was. I mean, that—that's the thing. I often think, like, think back to to school. I mean, I, I would never tell people at school that I played in a band for fear of rejection, I suppose, or or bullying or something. But you look back, and you know, I work at Soho Radio now, 
and I, yeah. and I love working there and it's you know very much a community-based station and when we have young people in and they're really confident you know you can see oh you know you're going to go far and, yeah. I, and I think there is there is a great line between being modest and being cool but being confident and being like no this is what I want this is what I like <laughs> this is what I'm gonna yeah. do you can see it in some people can't you just like wow yeah totally and i wonder if a lot of artists and young young bands like sort of feel that you know if, when they're going to a job they don't really like that sort mm -hmm. of you can see how that's pushing down and down on someone's forehead you know thumbing in yeah. someone's forehead being like nah nah mate <laughs> you know yeah we kind of get for me it was um that impetus to right i don't want to do this job i need to really focus on on doing the art side of things and mm that that really gave me a, a good push and so sort of since we started none of us have had any jobs per se it's only sort of within the last four years that um we've kind of looked to to get extra income and we've you know it's been modest earnings for for the last sort of 20 years um but then we've just thought you know, you know the, the full album cycle. You do the album, you tour, and then there's that big fallow period, and you're like thinking, you know, I could actually, you know, earn some money and try and get a. You treat yourself now and again. You know? Yeah, and especially if there's something that you, you you like, you know, maybe there's like a venue opening up in town or a cinema or I don't know, you mm -hmm. know, there are countless examples of those small independent businesses that we do get in the UK. Mm. To, yeah. So I, I work uh, sort of part-time at the Brighton Dome. I don't know if you know. Yeah. So I do audio stuff there. Great. Um, Recording, so like live sort of engineering. Yeah. So it's uh, from anything, setting up days, um, uh, doing the live audio. Uh, and then they've, they've got a festival, so they have loads of sort of theatre stuff. Yeah, we, got, we get like dance theatre, bands, obviously, um, comedians coming in. So it's it's really varied. It's, it's kind of cool, especially to see it from that side of a show. I've really enjoyed that. Has it given you a new way to kind of enjoy it? I imagine being in a band and working so hard and self-managing and, you know, yeah. self-tour managing and driving everything. I mean, there's there's so much energy that, that comes out of that. And I, I wonder if sometimes that can impede on you know the, the way you you see the the group as a whole or its music at least um being on the other side of that has that given you kind of a new perception about how artists and bands and comedians how they kind of portray themselves and what the kind of the show is what the theater of it is yeah yeah definitely um it's given me an appreciation for everybody who works there which um you know maybe you didn't have quite that appreciation before um, and yeah, seeing loads of different people come through and uh, the likes of yeah, Joanna Lumley in, who she's, she was absolutely amazing, says hello to everybody and you get a few a few grumpy people through. So it's kind of makes you think how to conduct yourself, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then if I'm doing um, monitors for a band on stage, I kind of remember how I would feel. So I will sort of take real care, uh, make sure that they're really comfortable on stage and um, everything's good for them. So yeah, I really enjoy that. And it feels like I'm stepping back from doing shows, but I'm still involved in the Yeah. In it, yeah. Does it do you feel more of a fan? I think so. Like I'd never went to 
so many shows. Um, you know, maybe when I, we first started and I was going to loads of gigs and then there was a period where I just couldn't be bothered because I yeah. just wanted to stay out of a venue. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've seen loads of, loads of great stuff and from like Nick Cave um, and Mogwai and seeing how they put a show together. It's just... When I think about Nick Cave and Mogwai, I think how many, like their kind of peers that they had with Mogwai, obviously like there's that kind of Scottish, you know, you know, Orange Juice and then Teenage Fan Club, that kind yeah, of punk yeah. alternative scene. Did Sea Power, did you like, did you have any kind of like mentors as it were or or friends that kind of showed you how to be a, a band in a way that, that works for you? So the older brother of Jan and Hamilton, Roy, he manages us for the first couple of records. Um, and he was a big influence on them as they were growing up. Um, he's probably like... Um, 15, 20 years older than them, I think. I can't quite remember. So he, he was, he had like Fall Records and Pixies Records and stuff that as as young kids that you wouldn't probably be listening to. So he kind of is a mentor in a way. Um, but I think we just sort of doing our club nights and, and having our heroes, you know, like Iggy, watching Iggy Pop, um, you're just like, yeah, this is a guy who's just taking it the bull by the horns and, and he doesn't give a monkeys and he just gave us a back in those days gave us the encouragement that we could just do that kind of stuff doing your club night i mean being in charge of the books and the accounting yeah, we didn't no we, we didn't sort of run it like that we were given the venue once a month um and we got paid bugger all for it um and we just pay a support band uh we didn't take anything from the bar or anything like that it was fairly basic in terms of uh, organization i think that sort of helped create our spirit and our own kind of unique way of doing things i could do do a little bit of work at the um bim you know the music schools and you see people coming through that and they get it, it's kind of great if, you, if somebody offered me to go to university to do music i'd be like that's great brilliant but um the sort of unique character that comes out from doing it all yourself. I think it's maybe lost a bit of those, those schools and I kind of fear for it in that way. They get a lot of, they learn a lot of great stuff, but I feel like, yeah, that you wouldn't get Marquis Smith coming out of BIM, would you? You know what I mean? You wouldn't get like a Mo Tucker style drummer. No. Coming no. out of BIM. Nah. I feel like, you know, having not gone to university for, for music, um, you know, I'm kind of, you know, uninformed to, to say, but I feel like there's a lot, you know, across life, not just music is, you know, you learn by fucking up, you learn by making mistakes and you make mistakes by doing it, realizing what went well and what went not well <laughs> and, and learning, right. And, and forming your own, your own kind of bubble, your own world where, you shut everything else out and the people involved in it, it just sort of mutates and becomes this thing. And then, then, you, then you're a band, you know what I mean? This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! <sighs> and this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? 
When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Those are the best bands that make their own worlds. Did, did you know that you were doing it? Was there a time that you... I mean, I feel like lazy... I mean, not lazy journalism, but, you know, a kind of a, a way to put it in a headline is to say cult band. But that's just a, a, a... For me, as a fan, that's just a word to say this band has its own world and it's it's not in on, in the red tops necessarily, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think um, a lot of the the bands that we like are all like that. So I think it's just... Um, maybe an aspirational thing and you reject everything that's not like that. Um, it just sort of happens. You don't really, I don't think anyone plans that kind of thing, do they? I wonder if they're, you know, say if record labels is obviously a big one, but maybe interviews, you know, mm-hmm. I, I know you, you turned down interviews to talk about the name change. To me, there was a very obvious thing. Why you change your name doesn't really need to be slogged to the point, you know, yeah. Uh, and I wonder if that's one of the things that makes you more, more you know, more in your own world. Because you say, no, I'm going to turn down those GB News or whatever good morning programs. Yeah. And, you knew, you know, they're all media savvy, really good at talking on TV. And you just know that they kind of crucify you in a way. Um, and Jan was thinking, oh, I should just go on with a clown outfit. And every time he asked me a question, honk a horn. And they were like, brilliant. <laughs> that would have been brilliant. I'm not sure if they would have let us on, but. That's the best way we could have dealt with that. <laughs> Did you see in New Zealand a few months ago? Uh, there's there's a lot. I think I think it's here in, in in the UK as well that if you're getting called in at work by your job and you know that it's going to be a quite serious meeting, that it's uh-huh. within your rights to bring like an emotional support friend person. This fella in New Zealand took a clown. <laughs> and so when, when they you know really like pulled the trigger on you know you're going to be let go. You know, he got his he's got his friend like Bonnie yeah. to, to do the to do the talking. Oh, glad you're here, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, a real friend. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I suppose so I suppose it is those decisions that, that make that put you in that world. You know, I mean, have have there have there been any other decisions that you can, you know, remember in your history that maybe you turned down something because it it you know, something quite big maybe, where it just didn't feel right. Because there's that massive overlap of alternative music and, you know, mainstream, right? And yeah. there's, a, I feel like as a fan, I live in the middle. I haven't really had to choose between, but I imagine artists do have to choose. Mm. We never got um, into a position where, you know, like a band would do an advert uh, maybe 20 years ago and then they'd, get, they'd lose a lot of respect for selling out, you know what I mean? Um and nowadays, people sort of think it's okay because it's, you know, everyone knows that Spotify and streaming services don't pay much. So it's like, you know, they need to make money. So f- fair enough. There's not the same sort of selling out uh, vibes anymore. Mm. So, yeah, we've, we've done, I don't think we've done anything like, you know, Coca-Cola or McDonald's or anything like that. But if, if we've been on a, a celebrity tv show or something that's it's just like oh we heard you on that it's that's you know we rather than they've sold out did you have many friends any you know any kind of peers i suppose or bands that you were playing with or touring with or found yourself around that 
you're kind of like learning together yeah no right right at the start um there were a few bands coming out of brighton like the 80s matchbox beeline disaster um electric soft parade electra lane yeah clear lake there's quite a lot of bands yeah just sort of playing in venues as a uh, sort of felt like there was a a bit of a scene going on and yeah so we were all kind of learning from each other and yeah and you know do shows together yeah they were good times getting into you know making soundtracks looking at music in a or you know looking at being in a band or composing i suppose Mm -hmm. i guess my first question is you know was that like a real you know, were you using a different set of skills, using a different part of your brain when you were writing for film or writing soundtracks as opposed to, to Sea Power Records? I think it's kind of always been there, even from the first record. Um, there's always been textural parts to the songs. Um, and it was only sort of after the second record where we did our first soundtrack um, for, it was for Edinburgh Film Festival, and that was sort of a midway between um, a bit uh, gentler instrumental stuff. Um, so the, some of them were a little bit song based, and we'd rework some of our old songs and B sides to fit it. But yeah, we, we sort of developed those sort of studio techniques and uh, along the way. So I think when we got to do like the Disco Elysium soundtrack we could we could do it and it, it was a just another it was a great outlet so we have these different bodies of work and we go well you know finally we can use all this for for the soundtrack we didn't feel like we had to do anything in, in any different way um robert who wrote the game he was a massive fan and he was just picking out bits from songs and oh you know i'd like a bit that's a little bit like this um and it was kind of even the messy bits or mm. uh, like distortion and atmospherics. So it was great to have somebody who knew our music so well, more than us even. He was, um, they're all Estonian. Um, so he flew over to convince us to do this game. And and all it was back then was just like about 10 drawings of, of the world. And then he just described it all. And we just like, this guy's, this guy's a madman. Um, yeah, I'm not, you know, but uh, we, we, you know, we like doing this kind of stuff. He's obviously a fan, so we sent him a load of atmospheric pieces that we had, and he he picked out the ones which to him suited the world the most. And yeah, just took it from there. It was just a leap of faith, and Robert um, had such conviction that it was gonna. He said it's gonna be the best fucking game ever. <laughs> <laughs> and there was and there was a budget. Like he had a budget did he yeah from his his bosses you know yeah and it wasn't loads we um it was fairly modest modest budget up front so it wasn't like we were doing it for the money it was kind of an opportunity to um do this kind of music and as i said he'd pinpointed the kind of things he wanted and that really Mm -hmm. excited us it was a it's a great chance and he kind of gave us a a little cut on um every time they sold a game or every time they sold the soundtrack, then we got a little cut on that. So, so we did all right in the end. But yeah, mm. up front we were just like, we're just taking a punt here. We we like this guy. Yeah, he's a real character. He's got really? so many ideas. 
He's really, really clever. Yeah. And just to end, you know, everything was forever over this time working at Brighton Dome. I guess this is such a classic question, so call me an idiot. But, you know, does it feel like a totally different record to what you've made before? Have, you know, having those outside, uh, you know, your own life, I suppose, you know, on a very personal level, yeah. does, it, does it feel different? Yeah, I think so. I think one thing before I worked at the Dome, that every decision that was made within the band was like really crucial and it, it, it would, um, you know, you, you might get a bit worked up about things, but when you have a little bit more of your own freedom, and I think everybody does now, that you can kind of let these things go a little bit and things are just a little bit easier to deal with because you're not relying on, you know, it, 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 one thing being your future and every decision can affect your life and, yeah, it's nice for everyone to have a bit more of their own freedom. I mean, if there's something that you know you'd like to do, or or a production that you'd really like to work on at the Dome or any other venue in the world, you know, are there any things that you've seen you thought, "Fuck yeah," you know, like I can really imagine working on the audio or or any any other side, you know, of of the production. There's um, so the Dome is one of the sort of a five G um, test bed. So there's a, there's a few of them around the country and they've got this 5G festival coming up. But So people are playing in different parts of the country and it's all synced up and it kind of looks cool. But they've got this surround, um, there's about 15, 20 speakers surrounding the auditorium and then some up front. So you can basically have any instrument in any of the speakers and you can, you can just click on a mouse um, and move an instrument all the way around the speakers and it will it will go around, and you can link that up to where you put on the VR goggles, and you you can do all that stuff. And at the moment, they're just using bands, but I can imagine somebody like some electronic artist like Aphex Twin or something using that to mind mind blowing levels. So I'd love to see something like that happen, and it probably will somewhere. I mean, John Hopkins has kind of pushed the envelope a little bit. Yeah. further just in the last few months what's he done music for psychedelic therapy and it was recorded in some caves in, in some ecuadorian caves <laughs> and he kind of went down there with, with a field recorder and i got into him fairly recently again he, he played at the dome and he was the last show before the full lockdown that i saw and it was um yeah it was kind of, that was very moving. Everyone knew it was going to be shut down. There's this pandemic and it did have the sort of end of days feel. Um, but yeah, I didn't realize how sort of popular he was in the, in the kind of left field. But yeah, great on him for doing that. That's, that's a genius idea. And I really want to hear that. Your identity is, is as a musician, is it as, as an artist? You know, yeah. you, you've come to peace with that. I mean, was there a, has that been a, a journey in the last sort of decade and longer? Yeah, I've, for me, I've kind of, you know, you look at um, um, people who, who you can call yourself an artist, um, but I've never kind of wanted to do that. Um, I kind of just like to think I'm me and I do this kind of stuff. I don't, I don't want to feel like self-important about it if you know what i mean totally martin thank you so much for being up for this 
That's all right, yeah. So there was Martin Noble of Sea Power on tour for the rest of the month around the UK. You can find those dates on such websites as seapower.com. Wait, let me search that. Seapower.com? Nope, they haven't reserved that. Seapowerband.com. There we go. Seapowerband.com for those dates. Their new album, Everything Was Forever, is out now. Cheers for listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. Here is Coxbarrow. I've been working all day, got me mate on the side. Running around like a blue-ass fly. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day, got me mate. Every blinking minute I've been on the go. Up and down the ladder like a fiddler's elbow. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day, got me mate. This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in Bigger Than Ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.